You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. start out a little bit different this morning. How many of you remember the fairy tale, The Frog Prince? Yeah, that's one of my favorites also. All right, we're going to have, I don't know how to get a typical fairy tale set up. You have the wicked witch that casts a spell on a handsome prince and turns him into a frog. And so the only thing that can bring in the mole is the kiss of a princess. And so he takes up residency in the moat of a nearby castle, and he just waits there, hoping to be discovered by his royal day, the father. And as she's opportunity for you, and all I ask for in return is a small favor. And well, since this is a fairy tale, the princess isn't surprised at all by a talking frog. <laughs> <laughs> Frog says, Sir Frog, anything you desire, just please give me this ball. Frog says, Done. And he hops down into the well and he emerges just moments later and he presents the golden globe to the princess. Well, the prince, princess is overjoyed. And after thinking, the frog, yes, replies the frog, Yeah, in your dreams. And she runs back into the castle. Well, it just so happened that that evening, the whole court was gathered for a great feast. And so the frog, after sneaking, your majesty, he hops up on the king's table and he sits down right by the asparagus and he says, your majesty, the princess made an agreement with me and now she's refusing to honor it. I only asked for just ask, is this? And the king, who is also not surprised by a talking frog, turns to him with a wave of his royal hand, just stops her in mid-sentence and turns back to the frog and says, what did she promise? Frog answered, a kiss. And so the king, so there is that the, pr- the promise must be kept. And so there in front of all the court, the princess picks up the frog up to her lips and kisses him. And it, suddenly, like in all fairy tales, there's a flash of light and a poof of smoke, and suddenly a handsome prince appears. He and the princess, they immediately fall madly in love with each other, deeply in love, and they they get married, and they all live happily ever after. But do they really? (laughs) I mean, the prince had been a frog for a very long time, several years. And do you think that after being a frog for so long that he immediately began acting like a prince? I wonder what some of their conversations might have been like. Put on your seatbelts. So, dear, tell me, how did you spend your day? Oh, I just hung out around the moat, catching some rays, talking to some old friends. Or, Kermit, will you please quit snapping at those flies and come inside and eat your dinner? Perhaps, honey, do you really think it's a good idea to name all of our sons Tad? (laughs) Well, actually, I think the frog prince probably did pretty well. I mean, after all, he, he was no longer a frog, right? He was a prince. And the things that once seemed natural to him as a a frog, they didn't seem natural anymore as a, a prince. And so I think that as long as he remembered that he was a prince and not a frog, he probably did okay. Now, in the book of Numbers, we read about the children of Israel as they were preparing to go into the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're camped outside of the land of Canaan, and Moses sends in 12 spies. And he wants to find out what the land is like. And he wants to see if the the people there, are they strong? Are they weak? 
Are there many or are they few? And Moses told them, find out if their towns have walls or if they are unprotected like open camps. See if there are many trees and do your best to bring back some samples of the crops that you find there. And so after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses bringing a cluster of grapes that was so large it took two men to carry it. They brought samples of pomegranates and figs, and they reported that the land was indeed a bountiful country. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and well-fortified. They said, when we compared ourselves to them, we appeared as grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight as well. And so instead of claiming the land that God had promised them, they ran away and they went back into the desert. You see, our identity determines our behavior. I can't think of a single problem that we face as a Christian that doesn't have its root or isn't the result of failing to see ourselves as God sees us or failing to believe everything that he says of us, every fall. Every defeat, every inconsistent um, action begins with forgetting the truth about who we really are. You see, I will live consistently to what I truly believe about myself. If I see myself as a frog or a grasshopper, I'll behave as such. But if I believe that I am a prince, then I'm going to behave as a prince. So today we're going to finish up our series called the Freedom Series with a message titled Finding Freedom in a New Identity. Our text is is a short text. It's just one verse. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning, I ask that our minds would be alert. Father, that our hearts would be open to receive and to hear as you speak to us the truth about our identity. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. And thank you for your amazing grace. It's in the name of Jesus, that wonderful, powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So point number one, you have your outlines, they're in your bulletins, follow along. Point number one is the importance of our identity. I'm sure that at least once you've asked the question, who am I? And the way that we answer that, it says a lot about how we perceive our identity. And there are many false identity equations that we fall into, such as, trying to find our identity in our appearance or our education or our work. We try to find our identity in the home that we live in, the neighborhood that we're at, or the car that we drive. And we're bombarded by all the advertising that says, if you'll try my product, you can be somebody. When the world... They want us to believe that in order to have a significant or a meaningful life, that we must appear attractive or perform well or enjoy a certain amount of status. And we tend to draw our identity from these false equations. But let's think about it. If these equations could work for anybody, they would have worked for King Solomon. Solomon was the king of Israel during the greatest years of its history. He had power, wealth, possessions, and God had given him more wisdom than any mortal on earth. And if a meaningful life was the result of these things, then Solomon would, he would have been the most together man who ever lived. But when we read his writings in the book of Ecclesiastes, as he's summing up his life, he tells us that it was meaningless. He doesn't just say meaningless, he says it was utterly meaningless. 
I just lost my place. There I am. So the only equation or identity equation that really works in the kingdom of God is you in Christ equals wholeness and meaning. And I'll let you write that down because, man, that's worth the price of your admission right there. The only true identity equation that works in the kingdom of God is you in Christ equals wholeness and meaning. You see, I believe that true hope and meaning and fulfillment doesn't come from what you have or what you do, but it comes from understanding who you are and specifically your identity in Christ as a child of God. As I stated earlier, our identity determines our behavior. And so that's why our identity is so important. Point number two. The Bible clearly shows us that really there are only two identities. Either we're identified as being in Adam or we're identified as being in Christ. And freedom, true freedom, is only experienced as we see ourselves in the truth of who we are in Christ. And so let's take a closer look, beginning with our position in Adam. Because to fully understand and appreciate our position in Christ, we need to go back and view God's original intent when he created man. Adam was created with physical life. We call that bios. And because he was in union with God, he also had spiritual life, which we call Zoe. So God created man as a whole, complete being, having a spirit, a soul, and a body. And none of you in here look like a target, but that was a great diagram that I saw back in the 1970s, and it, it kind of sums it all up. You see, that outer circle is a diagram that represents our body. And this is our connection to the material world through our five senses, what we can see, what we can hear, what we can smell, what we can taste. Through our speech, it's through uh, what we can touch, what we can observe. It's what allows us to move and function on earth. And then that next circle represents our soul, and that's the hub of our, our mind and our emotions and our will. Our mind being the thinker, and our emotions being the feeler. And then our will is that part of us that chooses, that can make a choice. And then the smaller part in that diagram is our spirit, and that's the, the person who we really are, and that's the person and the place where we have our connection with God. And so in the original creation, Man was in union with God, and he had significance. He had safety and security and belonging. And he had purpose as a result of all of that. But we see in Romans 5.12 that when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. And Adam's sin brought death, so that death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned, and we all fall short of God's standard of righteousness. So in this next diagram, we see that as a result of sin, we are spiritually dead. We're separated from God. And then that circle with the F in it, that represents our flesh. And that's used interchangeably in Scripture as our sinful nature. And this is the condition that natural man, all of us are born into, as a result of being born, we have a, a natural body. We have physical life, this bios life. But we're all born into the world with a sinful nature. We're enslaved to sin. We're controlled by it. We're sinners, and so we can't help ourselves from sinning. And though we're physically alive, we're spiritually dead because we are separated from God. Bible says that our spirit is at enmity with God. 
And as a result of that sin, we lost those attributes that we had from the original creation. And so now they become our needs. And so we find ourselves looking for significance, striving for safety and security and belonging. And we, we're trying to find purpose, but we're looking in all of these wrong equations. We're looking at our appearance plus our affirmation. We're looking at our status and our recognition. We're looking at our performance. All these things that the world tells us equal our identity and purpose. We're filled with overpowering negative emotions and feelings of inferiority or insecurity, inadequacy or guilt, fear and doubt. And so as a result, our entire being is morally corrupt. Our minds have been programmed to live independently of God. We're slaves to sin because we're driven by the cravings of our sinful nature. Galatians 5.17 says, The flesh, or the sinful nature, desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. And so that's the condition of natural man. So let's look at what it means to be in Christ. The second position identifies those that by the grace of God have been redeemed through the atoning sacrifice of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Jesus came to give us life, and he tells us in John chapter 10, I have come that you may have life, and you may have it more abundantly. And so, how do we go from being in this uh, position of being in Adam to being in a position of Christ? Well, we can read in the Gospel of John where a Pharisee named Nicodemus came to Jesus one night with the same question. How can man enter the kingdom of heaven? How can he experience this new life? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. When we were born in Adam, we were only received that physical life because flesh gives birth to flesh. Our soul was still, it was separated from God and was enslaved to sin, having a sinful nature within us. And the Bible tells us that we were all like sheep that turned away from the shepherd and ran our own way. But God, in his kindness, has led us to repentance. And repentance simply means a change of mind. We had been running away from God. But God, in his kindness, turned our direction 180 degrees. And now we can run to the cross. It's through grace, by faith, in Christ alone, that we are made alive and we are born again by the Spirit of God. And so now as a result of placing our faith in Christ, we see that our spirit is now in union with God in Christ. But salvation isn't something that we just add to our life. It's not like joining a club or becoming affiliated with a political party. Salvation is a brand new life that begins and is birthed by the Spirit of God. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a brand new person. I love to watch the renovation shows like Fixer Upper. 
But do you remember way back in the 1980s, some of you were too young, but in the 1980s there was a show, and I, I think it's still on, but it's changed quite a bit. It was This Old House, way back in the, the early 80s. And, you know, home renovation was so much different way back then. I remember watching Bob Vila helping homeowners strip off wallpaper from their walls. You know, and then they, maybe they would paint a wall or they would put up some trim or crown molding. And they called that a remodel. That's like dressing a monkey in silk. I mean, think about it. All you have when you're done is a finely dressed monkey. Today they, they come in and they just gut out the whole interior of the house. They remove walls. They change plumbing and electrical. And most of that's done by uh, licensed contractors. At least we hope it is. And on the outside of the house, you may not even notice that there's any change going on. But on the inside, it's becoming a brand new house. The moment that we placed our trust in Christ for salvation, we were made new at the core. We became a brand new person. And this transformation is deeper than just putting on a coat of paint. I mean, you can look great on the outside, but inside, if you're separated from God, you're still enslaved to sin, and you're filled with all those negative emotions. We've been identified with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection and ascension. And so let me just illustrate that quickly. For our purposes, we'll say that this Bible is Christ. And this bookmark, that's you and me. God has placed us in Christ. That's our position. Where are we? We are in Christ. When God looks at us, what does he see? He sees Jesus. In Romans chapter 6, we read how we're crucified with Christ. And that God had placed all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, every transgression that we've committed in the past or will commit in the future. God placed that on Christ. And when Christ was nailed to the cross and bled, he died. And he was buried. Where are we? Right there in Christ. So when Christ died, we died. When he was buried, that old sinful nature, that old fleshly uh, tendency that drove us and was our slave master, that sin, that sinful nature died and was buried. But we didn't stay there. We've been raised to new life. A change happened inside of us. We were birthed to new life in God by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that Jesus was raised and given a place of honor at the right hand of the Father. And where are we? We're in Christ. We are seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, our old sinful nature, that didn't come out of the grave. We have new life. And so that old life, that doesn't describe us. That's not our identity any longer. It's been removed from us. We are in Christ. And the Bible says that he's been given the name above every name. And he's far above every ruler and authority and power on earth, in heaven, and below the earth. And all things have been placed under his feet. The devil, everything, the angels are all under the feet of Jesus. They are under his authority. Where are we? We're in Christ. And so the devil has no authority over you. You're not obligated any longer to live 
under sin because your sinful nature is in the grave and doesn't identify you. You have a new nature. You've been born again by the Spirit of God, and you are seated in heaven, the right hand of the Father. And the devil has no authority over you unless you allow it. You're not obligated to sin. But we do. And so that's our conflict. Lewis Schaefer in his book, uh, Salvation, he raises five points about our position in Christ. And I just want to share those with you because they stood out to me. And the first position was, these positions are not experienced. And when I first read that, I wasn't sure that I agreed with it. But then I realized that our position, we're not able to observe it or experience it. But they are true of our new life. And it's out of these truths that we experience and enjoy the effects. Let me give you an example. We can't experience justification because it's not observable. But we do experience the joy and the peace that occur because we have been justified. The second point is Christian, the Christian positions are not progressive, meaning that they don't grow and develop. They're perfect the day that we possess them as they ever will be in the ages to come. For example, we don't grow in our sonship. An old man at the time of his death is no more a son of his father than he was at the day of his birth. And these positions are in no way related to human merit. There's nothing that we could do to earn this position. It's only by God's grace and our faith in the complete redeeming work of Christ. The fourth point that he makes is that every position is eternal by its very nature. You know, even though we, re we realize these positions in varying degrees in our daily walk, the reality is that they're never subject to change in time or eternity. Your salvation is secure. Your position is secure. It's eternal. But it's our daily walk is where we have to work. And these positions are only known through divine revelation. They go above our imagination. And since they're not experienced, the reality of them can only be entered in as we believe, as we have faith in the Word of God. That tells us our position in Christ. And so it's from this position in Christ that we get our identity. It's not from the things we do or what we have, but it's who we are in Christ. So our last point, point number three. How do we walk in the freedom of our new identity? Why do so many Christians live defeated lives? If we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places and all things are under our feet, why do we still struggle in our daily walk? Dr. Neil Anderson, founder of the Freedom in Christ ministry, conducted a survey several years ago to to discover how many Christians still fall victim to living in the flesh. And he asked 50 individuals that he was counseling, and all of them professed to be Christians. He asked them the same question, and he listed, uh, he says, how many of these following characteristics describe your life? And he listed them, you know, inferiority, insecurity, inadequacy, guilt, worry, doubt. And every one of the 50 individuals answered that their life could be described by all six of these characteristics. And so to find freedom in our identity, first we have to know our position. It's because we failed to see our position in Christ and believe the truth that we have this disconnect between who we truly are and how we live our life and how we think. 
Just knowing what the Bible says concerning our identity isn't enough. It doesn't help you much unless you believe it. And we can say we believe it, but until the Holy Spirit births that in your spirit, there's still that disconnect. We have to believe what God's Word says is the absolute truth. Whether we feel it, whether we think and agree it, the, the Word of God is the absolute truth. And we need to align our beliefs to God's Word. So what changed when we placed our trust in Christ? Let me just list these real quickly. First, we see that our identity has changed. We have a new heart, a new spirit, a new position. Instead of rejection, now we're accepted, we're secure, we're significant. We've been separated unto God and we're redeemed children of God who experience freedom from sin. We've been separated unto God and, whoops, I just read that twice. It's probably good enough to read twice. <laughs> We've been made alive in Christ and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so these are the truths of what's changed in our identity. And then we see that our condition has changed. We've been set free from fear, and we've been given the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. We're welcome to come boldly before the throne of God's grace. We've been given all the riches in Christ. Our position has changed. We were under the oppressive domain of Satan, who's the God of this world, but now we've been transferred into the kingdom of light. In God's dear Son. Now we are at the right hand of the Father in Christ, and we've been given Christ's authority over sin. Our citizenship has changed. We used to be in the kingdom of darkness, now we are in the kingdom of light. We are citizens of heaven. And finally, we see that our future has changed. John 3, 16, we all know it by heart. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's our future. This is what God has done for us. It's eternal. It's true. We are in Christ and nothing can separate us from God's love. Well, after knowing our position in Christ, then we need to know our responsibility. The spirit and the flesh are in opposition, and we sin when we choose to act independently of God to gratify those thoughts and desires of our flesh. Remember that circle with the F in it? That's our flesh. That's that sinful nature that it's not a part of us but for some reason, we still have a tendency to think and, and uh, respond and, and yield our will to the flesh instead of yielding our will to the Spirit of God. The more we give in to His desires, the harder it is to turn back. And before you know it, the, a stronghold has been established, and that's why... It's so important that we take the responsibility to not give place to the devil. The devil has no authority over you unless you give it to him. We can choose to walk according to the Spirit because Christ is in us. We're no longer obligated to obey the desires of the flesh. John 8, 36 says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the conflict that many Christians face is the result is that tendency to walk according to the, our old fleshly patterns of behavior. And this is described in Romans 7. Paul describes this conflict. He says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. In Neil Anderson's book, Victory Over the Darkness, he writes, 
When you were born again, you became a new person. But nobody pressed the clear button in your memory. You brought with you into this new faith all the old habits and thought patterns of the flesh. So although you are new, so although your new self desires to live dependently on God, your flesh persists in suggesting ways to live independent of God. The instant we placed our trust in Christ, we were secured into this position. But our daily life, our daily living in Christ is progressive. And that's why we say that sanctification, that growing up to become more and more like Jesus, that's a day-by-day process. And as long as we live on this earth and we have the tendencies to yield to the flesh, then we need to continue to set our mind on the things above and not on the things of earth. We need to yield our spirit and submit to God to resist the devil. The Bible says that he will flee. God gives us a way of escape, but we have to take it. Sometimes it's just a moment, just a second. A thought will come into your mind. And if you don't take that thought captive at that very moment, and what I mean by that is think about what you're thinking about. Don't just let thoughts passively enter your mind because what we think about will become an action if we don't stop it. We are the gate men, the doormen of the threshold of our mind. We control what we think about. The devil would try to think that you're powerless in that, but God has given you a new mind. He's given you a new heart, a new position, and you are no longer obligated to follow that old pattern of thinking. So when we have these thoughts of inferiority and we're tempted to see ourselves as a frog or a grasshopper, we can stop that thought. Those thoughts of insecurity, inadequacy, we can stop it at the threshold of our mind because we are in Christ. And we can see ourselves as who God says that we are and take our position in Christ. We can see ourselves as children of God and choose to align the patterns of thought to the Word of God. No longer just walking aimlessly, following whatever thoughts come into our mind, but we can stop them and line them up with God's Word because God's Word is the absolute truth. So if the devil says you're a frog, just read him Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. And we can do all things. And we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.